Hello and welcome to the final episode of season two of the Prophets and Prana podcast. My name is Esme and before we get into today's interview, I just want to thank you for joining me for this podcast. It has been a real pleasure and we've had some amazing guests this season. I am truly, truly blessed. But without the listeners like you, this show would not be possible. So thank you so much for giving me a little bit of your time every now and then throughout the last few months to learn more about soulful business practices with me. Today, my guest is Julia Klein of intuitivebusinesswoman.com. Julia is a speaker, author, trainer, coach with many diverse accomplishments in numerous industries throughout her career. She was in the top 1% of the worldwide sales force with Mary Kay. She was a titanium power seller on eBay, which means she grossed, get this, over $100,000 per month or more in sales, which is just amazing to think about. She built a multi-million dollar real estate investment portfolio. She's been invited to speak to small business audiences around the world. And she published the Amazon bestseller, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Sleaze-Free Selling in 2013. In this episode, Julia and I are going to dive deep into the soulful aspects of business, and we're going to be giving you some actionable business advice. So make sure you grab a pen and a piece of paper because you are going to want to take notes. Without any further ado, let's get right into the interview. Julia, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. I love doing things like this. Would you like to introduce yourself just a little bit more to our audience? Well, gosh, um, I just had my 46th birthday and it was probably the best one of my life yet. And I live in Chicago with my cat, Smokey, and I have been a coach and information marketer and uh, speaker and author for almost nine years now. Um, prior to that, I was a school teacher for seven years. I was an eighth grade teacher in the, in the Chicago public schools. I also had a uh, very successful Mary Kay business when I was in my 20s. I um, have had experience selling just about everything under the sun via just about every method that there is. And um, I'm, I'm now at a point where I'm putting it all together with uh, personal development work and blockage removal and helping people step into more of what they are meant to be in the world by helping them to remove the obstacles to their biggest goals. I think that is a really, really needed service, and especially in the soulful entrepreneur circle, mm. because so many of us have this, this fear of, well, what if I put myself out there and then all of these, these other issues come up? You know, what if somebody doesn't like what, I'm, what I have to say? Or what if people start to argue with me because conflict is really not something that a lot of us are good with? And so I think what you're doing is, is really important for a lot of people who are, you know, like me and, and trying to be visible and, and put ourselves out there, but are getting a little bit of internal resistance. So how did you come to this niche? Well, I, as I, as I said, it's, it's it, my entire life has been uh, bringing me in this direction. I actually, I, I, 
I had a lot of very significant wounds myself. Um, a lot of, and the term wound, you could also think of it as a self-limiting belief. And I had a lot of them. And uh, my own path of becoming confident and loving myself and being open and vulnerable in a healthy way has taken me 20 years. And uh, you know, people who meet me now can't believe <laughs> that I ever uh, you know, suffered from the debilitating lack of self-esteem issues that I did. Um, and so it's been a radical path of transformation for me. And at the same time, I have had a pretty powerful path of salesmanship. And it's just, it's all come together for me in sort of these two tracks of my life. On the one hand, there's been this track of my life that's been all about selling stuff and selling stuff to different, you know, different industries via different mechanisms, you know, online sales, face-to-face -face sales, mail, direct mail sales, speaking from stage, person to person, and it's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and so there's this whole salesmanship track that has run through my entire life, including when I was a school teacher. <laughs> I like to say that getting seventh and eighth graders to care about social studies is one of the biggest sales jobs that I ever had. <laughs> And so there's that track, the salesmanship. And then there's been this other extremely potent track of personal development and transforming myself from somebody with terrible self-esteem issues. And was, I was a very aggressive person who, frankly, a lot of people didn't like me. And that was just my reality for a long time. And transforming myself into somebody who I'm now happy most of the time. I suffered just debilitating depression for years, um, suicidal actually at times. Um, and now I am a happy person and I have lots of friends and I'm making more money and my business is out there in a bigger way and I've got clarity around my message. And, and so there's this, there's this track of personal transformation that's been all about clarity and confidence and and authenticity and radical honesty and faith and trust and developing those things. And I realized that they actually go hand in hand with being able to sell stuff. And what I realized is that most people don't put those two things together. And most people don't even, don't do either one of those two tracks, really. Most people don't really try to be authentic and heart-centered in the way that they sell stuff. You know, they just want to sell stuff. And most people don't do a tremendous amount with their wounds or their self-limiting beliefs or the stuff that's wrong in their lives. You know, they come up with coping mechanisms and they just don't deal with it. I and think you're very, very right on that. I'm listening to you going, wow, she's describing me a couple years ago. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, and so, I think that bringing these two together is just such a potent um, prescription or path, uh, gateway even for entrepreneurs and creative types of all kinds to recognize that that the more 
confident we are, the more genuinely powerful we are within ourselves, the more magnetic we become, the more irresistible we become, and therefore, the easier it is to sell our stuff in a way that's very authentic and heartfelt and leaves the person who bought something from us thinking that we're wonderful. So it just kind of all comes together in a big package with a nice neat bow around it. Well, I think that's something we all want. Now, how did you come to this realization about selling? And I'm assuming this is what led to your book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Sleaze Free Selling. But the transition of, oh, well, this is all related to selling is not necessarily a mental leap that everybody would have. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um... So the book actually came about, um, a little bit of an interesting story. I um, had uh, Kindle publishing became a real big thing several years back. And a friend of mine, uh, not, not a friend of mine, a client of mine was attending a conference, a seminar about how to publish on Kindle. And his wife wasn't able to go, so he had a second ticket and he invited me to go. And I said, yeah, sure, great. It's in Los Angeles. I love going to LA, so fine, I'll go with you to the seminar. And so I sat in this four-day seminar uh, and learned about how to publish on Kindle. And I decided that I wanted to take action. I wanted to publish a Kindle book. And I had just gotten done selling a 10-week course on marketing and productivity. And this 10-week teleseminar course, I'd sold it for $1,000 and it was going to be 10 courses, you know. And so my thought was, well, I'm going to record all of these sessions. I'll just get a transcript and I'll turn each one of them into a book and I'll have 10 Kindle books. That was my original idea. But as I went down the path, what I discovered was that two of these courses, two of the, the classes within the 10-week teleseminar uh, really formed the fundamentals of my philosophy of salesmanship. And so I decided to scrap the plan to do 10 books and instead took these two chapters, combined them together, added some stuff to it, and it turned into um, The Entrepreneur's Guide for, to Sleaze Free Selling. Oh, how interesting. So, some people just get this idea and then they write a book. It sounds like yours was more of a, more of a strategic process. Uh, yes. The intention to write a book was extremely strategic. Um, and I, and I guess there was, a, there was a bit of uh, kismet involved because the reason that I decided to write about salesmanship is because I had just gotten done selling a 10-week course about marketing and productivity. Um, and if, you know, so if I had just gotten done selling a 10-week course about something else, maybe my book would have turned out to be something different, you know? Mm-hmm. Completely. <laughs> um, so, so that's how the book came about. And then the, your other question was about how I made the mental leap from salesmanship being... Uh, or, or, or personal development being a critical factor in becoming a better salesperson. And I guess that that just really organically evolved out of both my own process as well as the work that I was doing with clients. And I realized that with people hire me because they want to get better at sales, earn more money, grow their business. And, uh, and, and, but in our private coaching, what we'll, we'll, we'll typically do then is we will start with a concrete action plan. You know, they want to launch a given product or they want to do a big new marketing campaign or whatever the thing is. And then in the second or third week of coaching, typically they come to me and say, yeah, I didn't get done what I wanted to get done this week. 
i.e. their blockages have shown up. And so at that point, we halt our discussions about whatever the tactic is or strategy that they want to be impl um, implementing, and we switch gears to talk about the blockage. And time and time again, the blockage that we end up discussing is one that goes extremely deep. And we end up talking about some of their wounds. And, and so I guess I've just noticed this pattern um, in myself and in the clients that I've worked with, that when you're not accomplishing whatever it is that you want to be accomplishing in your life and in your business, the cause is something deep inside of you and something that you've been holding on to for a very long time. And it turns out that I've got some pretty good strategies for helping people break free of those things. And uh, in my, my approach is certainly not for everybody. You know, not everybody wants to do a big emotional deep dive and go into their stuff and feel their feelings and wrestle their demons. You know, some people you know, want nothing to do with that kind of a process. But for people who are emotionally aware anyway, and people who uh, have a high emotional intelligence anyway, it's a powerful source of knowledge and inspiration. And this is mostly women or feminine people who are more intuitive and more emotionally intelligent. And for us who are you know, feminine, emotionally intelligent people to do anything else, in my opinion, is selling ourselves way short. The, the, the common standard uh, business approach is just put it out of your mind get over it, you know, stop thinking about whatever the thing is that's bothering you. Well, that works much better if you're a man or if you have a masculine way of approaching things. And also, by the way, most men or most masculine people are not particularly good at dealing with their feelings. So it makes all kind of sense for them to just put them aside. For us, women, number one, it's not possible for us to put our feelings aside. And number two, we're selling ourselves, selling ourselves short when we do because there's tremendous wisdom and knowledge and, and, and insight in our feelings. And so if we give ourselves permission to go into those feelings, those blockages, those wounds, we can actually heal them. And in that process, become far more able to accomplish our objectives and become visible grow our businesses, earn our money, earn more money, make more sales in the way that we've been trying to do for years, but our emotions and blockages and wounds have gotten in our way because we haven't been listening to them. What is the most common blockage or wound that you have uh, noticed within your clients? That's an interesting question. Um, so there's, there's six primary sales wounds. Um, number one is the money wound, and the core statement there is, I need and want money, but... I wish I didn't have to deal with money. I wish somebody else would just do the whole money thing for me. Sales wound number two is the love and money wound. And this one is extremely common. However, it's really deep. 
And so most people don't recognize it in themselves on the surface, even though they're suffering from it. And the love and money wound says money and love are intertwined in most of my relationships, present and past. So money is never just money and love is never just love. Mm, interesting. Sales wounds three and four go together. Sales wound number three is the selling wound and sales wound number four is the anti-selling wound. And these two are the most surface level. So in a sense, uh, your question was, what's the most common? Most people are, e are easily able to recognize that they're suffering from one of these two wounds. Or, and, and really, it's kind of you're, you're, you're suffering from both at the same time because they are a parabola. They are opposite ends of a spectrum. The selling wound, salesman number three, says salesmanship is a game of getting people to buy your stuff, whether or not they want it and need it. And so it's all about tactics and persuasion and having a sales personality. And in order to be successful at all that stuff, I have to ignore the little voice in my head that's telling me that I'm being pushy, obnoxious, and rude. Because I just gotta do it anyway. I just gotta power through. I just gotta make all these phone calls. That's the selling wound. The anti-selling wound is, hell no, I am not gonna do any of that stuff. The reason that I'm in business is because I want to form an emotional connection with my customers and clients. I am here to help people and solve problems. And so the last thing I wanna do is to piss people off with my marketing. So absolutely not. I am not gonna do any of that salesmanship stuff because it's all pushy, obnoxious, and rude. And of course, the sweet spot is in the middle. The sweet spot is where you recognize your authority as well as the authority of your customer. And I could put out all kinds of platitudes about creating a win-win and uh, you know, solving problems for your customer and all that sort of thing. And they're true, but they're not helpful because we've all been hearing them for decades and yet you're still sitting here with problems selling your stuff. So those are those who are the most common, they're most on the surface. And there's, and there's very, very practical, strategic things. Um, for the anti-selling wound, there's a list of eight things that you must never do again. And they're very practical things. One of which is um, you, you, you must never do again or you must start doing immediately if you're not. One of them is have a cancellation policy. In other words, because if, if, people who suffer from the anti-selling wound, it's not just about salesmanship, it's about boundaries in general in their business. And so somebody who suffers from the anti-selling wound also is very likely to be the person who lets a client come in 15 minutes late and still gets their full hour of treatment. Or um, has somebody cancel with 30 minutes notice and doesn't charge them for the appointment, right? And so those are practical things you can just stop doing immediately if you think you suffer from the anti-selling wound. Sales wound number five is the prostitution wound. And this one is the darkest, and it's probably the least common. The, the core statement of the prostitution wound is, if I charge for my services, people will think that I'm just in it for the money. And uh, uh, sales wound number six is the visibility wound. And this is probably the most common, um, even more so, even more common than the, um, the selling wound or the anti-selling wound, but it's not quite as obvious, and certainly it's much deeper than the selling wound and the anti-selling wound. And, the and this core statement of the visibility wound is, I want to be seen, 
and yet I also need to hide. And so there's this constant push-pull between I want to be successful, I want to build a platform, I want to have a best-selling book or a successful podcast, I want to get more fans, I want to sell more stuff. But then there is a profound fear that crops up. And sometimes it looks like I'm not good enough, people will get mad at me, who am I to be hogging the spotlight, other people are better at this than me, and even deeper things like, you know, I'm not lovable, I'm not likable, I'm not worthy. You know, those are very deep, deep, deep core wounds. Um, but they all translate into, it's not safe for me to be out there being big and bright and shiny. It's much safer for me to stay here in my little comfort zone where nobody can see me and I can retreat and just hide from everybody for days, weeks, even months at a time if I really need to. So. That sounds all too familiar. I used to be yeah. terrified of being seen, like just paralyzed. You said you used to, you're no longer? Yeah, I just, I decided if I'm going to actually make a go of this, that I have to put, my, put myself out there. That's just, that's the way it is. I, I'm not the type of person who's going to want to hide behind a ghostwriter, for example, or this mm -hmm. other persona. But it, it was scary, like put, being visible to more people than I see on a daily basis in person because in person is one thing because it's a lot easier for me to see how somebody is feeling about something I'm saying or doing but the internet you don't ever quite know for sure and so I would get well what if what if people are actually upset and they're just not telling me or what if somebody doesn't actually like that I'm doing this but they're just not telling me any of this how am I going to know to make it better and so it was easier to just not produce anything. Mm -hmm. So how did you get over it? <laughs> it was actually a meditation, uh, which is not necessarily the most, I'm sorry? I said, that's wonderful. I think that's great. And uh, would you be willing to share more details about the, the meditation? I mean, if not, I mean, you know. Oh, well, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything um, special. I was just, there's a, a Zen meditation group here in town that I was going to. And it's a very, very quiet session. So it's not like a guided meditation that you may encounter in other places. So they're very, very strict. And you get here, you be quiet, and you meditate in this group. And I was having a lot of issues um, a few years ago before I started my business. I was working for another company and I started my website as a hobby, my yoga website. And I decided, you know, I want to try to make a go of this business thing, but I was just like, not like I wouldn't put, I didn't put my picture on the about page, like nothing mm -hmm. because it was, it was really frightening. And the night that I had the meditation uh, was about two days before I was going to be on a podcast. It was my first ever podcast. And I was like, oh, I was just, I was a ball of nerves. I was completely <laughs> freaking out. And at some point during the session, I realized that's not going to serve me. And it's just going to create an embarrassment for myself. If I'm a ball of nerves going into the podcast, I'm not going to be engaging. I'm not going to be authentic. I'm going to be really stiff and people aren't going to want to listen to it. And if they do manage to make it all the way through, then nobody's going to want to learn anything more about me or my business. And it was just, it was, it was a, a hard moment of, accepting, you know what, this is the way it is if you want to be visible. And if you want to make a successful business, you have to have some degree of visibility. 
and you don't have to be all over the front page of the paper, but you have to be comfortable with people hearing about you that you will never know heard about you. And I think that was the most frightening thing of all, because <laughs> you never quite know who's noticed. Um, but I just, I had to suck it up. And so I went ahead, I did the, I did the podcast. It was actually a lot of fun in the end. And I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. Okay, maybe I, maybe I can do this. But it was, it, it was a hard realization to come to, and it was really keeping me stuck. And after doing the podcast, it's not like I jumped into like, oh, I'm visible, I'm everywhere now. Because it was just like the first step, and it took time to build on that momentum. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it, what's so interesting, I, you know, I always look for deep causality and I always look for um, how our beliefs are at work creating our outcomes. And what I hear in the story that you just shared is that you had had an old belief that going out in public and making yourself visible would uh, make you unsafe, would put you at risk. And what I hear happened in the meditation is that a new belief got introduced that says, that says, well, if I go on this podcast feeling nervous and scared, I am definitely going to have immediate consequences of, that are really, really going to be put me at risk and be scary and make me unsafe. And so it's almost like the new belief or the recognition that Okay, so, so if we're weighing what is it that's going to keep me safe and what is it that's going to put me at risk, clearly, because it, like, the, 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 the new belief trumped the old one, essentially. I, I don't think I'm making myself very clear, but do you follow what I'm saying? I do. I do completely. So it was definitely scarier to fail miserably and yes. alienate people than to yes. But yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a nerve wracking experience from the first moment I was asked to do it. I was like, oh my God, like really? Yeah. Like, yeah. like there's just no way I could do it. And I, I sometimes have wondered if my issues with visibility stemmed from where I grew up. I grew up on a farm, basically, in the middle of nowhere, really small town. Like we had like 300 people in the town. Everybody knew everybody. And that was a safe environment. Bigger cities, not such a safe environment. And the internet is just, it's, it's too easy to put yeah. things out there and not actually know how people are feeling about it. And the unknown was also quite terrifying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, you know, I, I would love to ask you more questions about that and delve into it, but I don't know that this podcast <laughs> A venue for that. Um, but I am always endlessly curious as to um, how people's beliefs are developed and then how they manifest themselves as they go through their life. Another question, question that I wanted to ask you about your path out of your visibility wound is once you made that first shift, which was a shift of belief, and I think that you said it extremely well, um, that you know, going out there as a ball of nerves and failing miserably and alienating a bunch of people was definitely scarier than the more amorphous fear of, oh boy, what if I'm visible, right? So the first shift was the belief shift. But um, visibility is a two-part Thing. It's kind of like law and order. <laughs> First, you've got to have the emotional willingness to be visible, but then you have to take the tactical, practical steps to actually be visible, to actually make yourself visible. 
And so you, the, one, the first practical step that you took was that you showed up on that very first podcast. But what you said was that it wasn't like it was just, you know, an easy downhill stroll from there, um, that there was more things that you needed to do to increase your visibility. What were some of those tactical things that you did early on to increase your visibility? Well, I started with, uh, with Google Hangout type trainings that I would just do to my community. Okay. So I would um, hop on a Google Hangout with another coach and we would talk about a subject. So like creating a yoga retreat that's actually profitable or uh, social media for yoga teachers. And so we would get on this video call and we would chat back and forth and there would be people that I didn't even know watched it that came to me later and they're like, oh, I, I like that thing you did. And that started me thinking, you know what? It's not the end of the world if I don't know who's watching. It's not the end of the world if people are not, oh my God, I love this, but they just sort of like watch and go away. Like that is okay. And then from there, I actually got really into Periscope. And because Periscope only, um, I was in business for about 18 months before Periscope came out. So it was Google Hangouts at first and then Periscope. And Periscope really did a lot of work with me for reducing my fear of being on video. Yeah. Like having my voice out there. I, ha I have got issues with my voice. I'm not a fan of my voice. And I was also terrified of being on video. And I have no idea why, but I didn't like it at all. And I got into Periscope uh, from a friend who was really involved. And it started to shift my perception of being visible because you know on periscope you don't know exactly who's going to end up watching it right, right. and it, it's putting yourself out there in a completely different way and the pot the experience was completely positive i met a lot of really great people i've got a lot of new clients it was a really positive experience mm -hmm. to know okay i can hop on live video i don't have to like have my hair done i don't have to do makeup like if i don't feel like getting out of yoga pants that's okay because i'm a yoga teacher people expect that from me. <laughs> Do you but, think that part of the reason that Periscope was less scary for you was because there was a less of a there was less of a requirement to be perfect because of the fact that it was live and spontaneous? Yes, definitely. Because uh, many years ago, I had um, I still have a friend who was very big on YouTube. And he was always saying things to me like, oh, you, you should do a video blog. And I was like, nope. Nope, not going to happen because it's not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know how to edit it. I don't have a good camera. It's going to be sloppy. I'm not going to do it. And on Periscope, it's live. I and mean, people drop their phones. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Now, all kinds of haphazard shit happens on Periscope. Exactly. And nobody seems to mind. Exactly. So there is this expectation of it's going to be really candid. And you're not necessarily going to have your hair and makeup done. There might be a kid screaming in the background. And that's totally okay because it's live video. It's not something that has been edited and polished and pre-recorded and then promoted with exactly the right description. So you get the maximum views and all of that. And I really like that it's more spontaneous. Like even when you plan out your topics in advance. So if you have a strategy of what you're going to do on Periscope or even Facebook Live at this point. It, that doesn't mean that's the way it's going to actually go. And that yeah, is totally right. okay. Unlike a pre-recorded webinar that you're doing, or if you're doing um, a group training session, or you're doing video blogs on YouTube, there's this expectation that it will be polished. Yeah. And that's not the case with live streaming, which is part of what got me over that fear. 
because mm -hmm. I, I can't be perfect all the, all the time and I don't like wearing makeup so I don't yeah. like feeling like I have to be something I'm not just to communicate with my audience yeah you know I want to circle back to what you said about Google Hangouts because I think that you slipped in a little three-word phrase that I think is absolutely critical um, for people who are struggling with visibility issues and you said what, that you went to Google Hangouts you started doing you know live video trainings on Google Hangouts to your community and so what i think that means and correct me if i'm wrong that you already had a group of live and in-person uh yoga followers that came to your yoga classes or whatever on a regular basis and now they were just also coming to you on google hangouts and that formed the core of your initial audience am i correct in assuming that well, actually, most of my, my community in the beginning was entirely online. Uh, I, yeah, I, I live in a very, very small town. Yoga is not very big here, so I can count the number of people who are interested in yoga here on one okay. hand. And so I had an email list, and I, I did um, yoga videos. Um, like I curate yoga videos, and I wrote yoga articles, and I started to put business stuff into it, and people started asking me these questions. And so it was very small at first. So only, you know, 15, 20 people in my online community who actually showed an interest in it. So it's not like I put this out to like everybody in the world, but it did get me over that initial fear because even though we had a dialogue online, I still didn't really know them in uh -huh. the same way you would with someone in person. Okay. So, so it was a little bit of a hybrid of, of what I thought. So it, was, but it, so it wasn't people who you actually knew in person coming to live yoga classes, but it was in fact people who had opted in for your stuff or who had bought your courses or they were already actively engaged with you. They've kind of like raised their hand to say, yes, we like you. And yeah. those were the people that you were initially talking to on Google Hangouts. Yes. Yes, exactly. If I was just doing it to random humans, I really don't think I could have done it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that from just from a very, you know, nuts and bolts practical standpoint, I think that's a really important takeaway. Um, that, that the way to transition into greater visibility is to use wherever you're currently visible as a uh, launching pad. And, and because those are people who, first of all, um, uh, already are fans of yours. So it already, if, if it doesn't erase, it at least minimizes the fear of, oh God, they're going to hate me because they've at least indicated that they like you. Um, and it also erases the fear that you're just going to do this to crickets, <laughs> right? Yes. It's, it's like, well, yeah, there's going to be a few people at least that show up. I've at least got a few people that I know I can count on. And I know for myself in my battle with my visibility wound that I, I've, I've, I've experienced a couple of times how powerfully soothing it is to be doing a call where you know that there's at least one or two or 10 people there who are just your fans, you know, and they, they, they like you, they've experienced you, they've gotten results from you. Um, and it's just, it's really, it's, it's like, it's like, you know, cuddling up with a warm blanket, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. as far as how good it feels and how relaxing it is um, and how much it can put you at ease. Uh, to, to, to feel like, you know, you're in a safe place as you increase your visibility. 
Yes, yes, there's definitely that component. I mean, you when, when you decide, at least for me, that you want to be visible, you don't want to do it to nobody. I mean, that is even more terrifying yeah. than having people yeah. not thrilled with it. But you don't want to do it to people who've never heard of you, who are not going to necessarily like you, because I'm not for everybody. I know that. There are definitely people out there who just don't jive with who I am, and I'm okay with that. But I don't want to be broadcasting my message everywhere to people who hate me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to touch on your new book that you're working on since we've been discussing wounds and the new book is Healing Sales Wounds, correct? Yes. The working title is uh, Heal Your Sales Wounds. And uh, we are not yet sure if that's going to be the finished title, but that's the working title for now. And people came to you after Sales Free Selling saying that they, they just needed to get over their blockages and that's where this came from correct yes that's exactly right in sleaze free selling people's basic reaction is well that's a nice idea but i can't and and you know what i say often about selling in general is that anybody who has attempted to sell anything you know you're a business owner you've had a sales job for a month whatever you know how to sell i mean it's not rocket science selling is a fairly simple process but it's really difficult. Yes. yes Just because you could, if you had to, sit down and write a 10-page article instructing someone about the process of selling doesn't mean that you can do it. And and the reason you can't do it is because of your wounds. And specifically around selling, it is mostly that sleaze, I'm sorry, it's the selling wound and the anti-selling wound parabola. It's because we have these cultural I'm not icons, that's not quite the right word, Um, but we're surrounded everywhere by examples of sleazy selling. All advertising is sleazy selling, all of it, because it by definition is forcing its message up in front of you when you didn't ask for it. Now, the only small example what we have now is um, the time of day when my brain leaves me, but you know, if you're on Facebook or if you're on a website, now you will target it. That's what it is, retargeted ads. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll see an ad for, like I personally, I've just been shopping for eyeglasses. So I'm seeing ads for Warby Parker and it's boot season. So I'm seeing lots of ads for Zappos on all of my websites um, because they do retargeting. So, but that method aside, every single time you ever see advertising, it's like, I don't want to see this stuff. Like, what is this? Like, you know, you open up the Sunday paper, those of us who still get a Sunday paper. And for the most part, the first thing you do is you throw away all the ads. You don't want any of that stuff. And so all advertising is sleazy and a huge percentage of face-to-face sales is sleazy. Like how often do you walk into a store and the salesperson who you're trying to get some help, well, either you just want to browse but you get that annoying salesperson who comes up to you every two minutes. Can I help you? Would you like to see this thing in your size? You know, this particular thing is on sale, blah, 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 whatever, right? They're being pushy or the opposite. You're trying to get some help and they're not helpful and they don't know what they're talking about and they don't ask you good questions and you know, whatever, or you suspect that they're just trying to sell you the thing that they're going to get an extra commission on this week. All of that is sleazy salesmanship and we've all internalized it. All of us living in the Western world have internalized this method of salesmanship as the gold standard. And that's the part that's really messed up, is that as much as we don't like it, 
we believe that it is what ought to be done. In other words, when we ourselves turn around and become uh, sellers of whatever it is that we're selling, you're selling yoga stuff, I'm selling books, um, we, there's a part of us that thinks that in order to be real, in order to be professional, in order to look like we know what we're doing, our stuff should look like all the other stuff that we've ever seen. And so, and, and most people don't realize that we have, that we've got this, this extreme conflict going on in our brains. That on the one hand, we hate this sleazy sales methodology that we are constantly subjected to. But on the other hand, we seek to emulate it. We think that that's what we should do. And on top of all that, we beat ourselves up when we don't or when we can't. Or if there is a strong voice inside of us that says, oh, God, that just sounds sleazy. I don't want to do that. I don't want to send those kinds of messages out. Instead of concluding that it's because the messages are sleazy, instead, we conclude that there is something flawed within us that we don't have the chutzpah to send a message like that, that somehow we're weak or that we just need to push through it, or we need to overcome our fear. We need to feel the fear and do it anyway, or you know, any kind of crap like that. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. And I'm thinking back to, uh, I was like just in the store the other day, um, actually getting uh, jewelry for this wedding that I went to. And I, you know, I'm thinking, it's like, wow, yeah, that, that saleswoman totally did that to me. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I right? didn't even realize what it was at the time. I'm like, yeah, no, she was, she was pushy. And then when I needed her, I couldn't find her. Yep. 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 That's what happens. But you asked me a question that I went off on a tangent. I didn't answer the question. Oh no. I was, I was just asking you about the book. You were asking me about the book. Yeah, about, oh, about your new book. Stage free selling and, you know, and how um, the, the current book or the upcoming book, Heal Your Sales Wounds, is really an answer to or even a prequel to stage yes. selling. Yes. Because people exactly. say, yes, well, you know, because what I've written about in my first book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Stage Free Selling, is how to design a marketing and sales program for your business that is non sleazy, that that, that acknowledges that some people want to buy your stuff and those are the people you should sell to. There's a whole bunch of people who just don't want to buy your stuff and you shouldn't try to make them, <laughs> you know? Yes, I agree um, with that completely. I hate being sold things that I don't actually want. Yeah, but it, 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 it happens all the time. And so, that, so heal your sales wounds is the answer to that, especially sales wounds three and four, the selling wound and the anti-selling wound. And, there's, and like I said, for those, there are very specific steps. Um, and, uh, and, and I want to say that they are available on my website you can download the free guide for each one of these wounds. And at this moment in time, but not quite there yet, <laughs> but any second now it is going to be available on my website. Um, so people can go and download that for free if they like. Awesome. Well, it probably will be available by the time this episode airs. Yes, it will most likely be available on intuitivebusinesswoman.com. Awesome. Well, I will link to that in the show notes, definitely, and your book. And I think I'm actually going to go get your book now. Awesome. And uh, Sleeves Free Selling, of course, is available now. You can buy it from Amazon or it's available on Kindle. And Heal, Heal Your Sales Wounds won't be out until May but you can pre-order a copy and it's available for 50% off. Um, 
those, I, I actually, um, my very first pre-order came in last night. So that was a very exciting moment. How exciting. Um, yeah. So I love pre-orders. So, I mean, that moment when you're like, wow, someone actually wants what I'm about to create. Yeah. That's very empowering. And as long as we're on the topic of books, is there a book that you are currently reading that you just can't seem to put down? Oh, you know, every once in a while I get asked that question and it's embarrassing to say uh, that what I read now is just novels. <laughs> There's nothing embarrassing about that. There's a lot of value in having a novel because it, for me, it takes my mind off of everything that I'm worrying about. Yeah, and I do a lot of reading. Um, and again, being an author, I probably ought to support other authors' books <laughs> more than I do. Um, I, I, I could look in my Kindle and see, because there's a few that I purchased, but I know that I haven't gotten back around to them as far as business books. Um, but I do a lot of reading, and the reading that I do is on uh, the topics that I am mostly interested in, which is money, salesmanship, productivity, and personal growth. And so I, I read about and I tweet about um, those topics a lot and not just my own take on them, but I very much put out other people's perspectives and then sometimes my commentary. You know, sometimes my blog articles will be my commentary on somebody else's idea about salesmanship or about a, a particular productivity strategy or a particular blockage to productivity. Yes, and definitely blockages to productivity, let me tell you. And I know that you have, um, you have your own views on how those interact with the sales wounds, which I think is really interesting. I never quite thought of it that way, but that procrastination can be related to a wound like that. Yeah. Um, but productivity as well, I just, there are some, some things that you just got to do and you just really don't want to do them. And I think that you're right when, when you're saying, you know, there's, there's a wound associated with it. it. It all goes back to something deeper. Yeah, and productivity issues are very often the result of the visibility wound being in place. And there is actually, uh, it, it, it's on the website, there is a quiz, uh, and it's called, is it productivity? Or, I'm sorry, is it procrastination or is it a visibility wound? And it is a five question quiz that allows you to assess yourself and determine is this thing that I'm trying to get myself to do and having a hard time doing it, is it just procrastination or is it a visibility wound? And then once you've determined for yourself which of the two it is, obviously, of course, I have resources to help you with that. I've got a video course that's just about procrastination issues, like how to be more productive. Um, and it's, a, it's kind of a curation of some of the best productivity strategies that are out there, including David Allen's Getting Things Done and Stephen Covey's Six Most Important Things to Do list, as well as the four quadrant system of urgent and important versus not urgent and not important. So I've kind of taken those three productivity strategies that a lot of people already either have heard about or use, and I've blended them and then added in okay, and what about when those don't work? In other words, what happens when you're actually hitting up against resistance or hitting up a visibility wound? Um, and that's a, that's a course that I sell. It's not very expensive, but um, it's, uh, it's on that website as well as an answer to the productivity issues. But then if, so if, if it's a, so that's for handling productivity. And then if it's a straight up uh, visibility wound, uh, as we've already discussed, that gets into some deeper beliefs 
And uh, your story is actually a bit uh, unique in stories that I've heard in that it was a relatively gentle and quick process for you to just switch the flip or flip the switch rather on your own visibility wound. And that's awesome that you were able to do that. Um, for more people that I've talked to who have visibility wounds, it's a, it's a deeper issue that requires a um, more in-depth process for overcoming it. But there's also, um, I've, there's an article on the blog about how to do that. It's a you know, free, whatever, you know, you can download the whole set of stuff about addressing the visibility wound. Excellent. I will, I will definitely link up to all of that in the show notes as well, because I think that's going to be really useful for people. And especially having dealt with my own visibility issues. Mm -hmm. And before I let you go, is there anything else that you want people listening to take away from this episode? <sighs> um, the biggest thing that I seek to impart to people is that um, authenticity is the way to go in life and in business. And everything that I teach and share and speak about fundamentally boils down to that. It's, it's a, uh, a process of becoming more authentic within yourself and then with others. And the extent to which you're able to do that is the extent to which you're able to see and succeed long-term, in my opinion. That's so well said. I just actually wrote that down. It's like, man, I like that as a good quotable. Way <laughs> to go. And it's so difficult for those of us who have been struggling with visibility to realize that when you are putting yourself out there, you have to be your authentic self or your efforts are just lost. Yep. And that it's not a bad thing to be your true self. Like we need more of that in the world, not less of it. So that was such a great note to end on. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Oh, you're welcome. This has been a real pleasure. I've, I've really enjoyed the back and forth that we've been able to do. I think this uh, will be a very interesting episode for people to listen to, hopefully. <laughs> yes, yes, me too. Thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure.